Gospel comes from the sixth chapter of John. So Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Again, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, well, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father, his mother. How can you say I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the Scriptures, they will be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen Him. So I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer, so the world may live, is my flesh. You may be seated. So as I said before, the, the disclaimer, it's more bread talk today. I hope you're ready for it. Um, we get a couple weeks in a row of that, and I think Good Shepherd's really fortunate because we have multiple preachers, so we can divvy up the bread teachings among a few pastors. And Because I imagine talking about bread for four weeks straight can get a little exhausting. But I do have to say, as someone who's eaten loads of bread for 35 years, Four days doesn't sound so bad at all. I'm, I feel like I was made for the perfect purpose of talking and eating bread. Um, anyways, I think what sticks out the most to me in this text uh, has a lot to do with kind of the culture we live in, particularly around that part where Jesus says, you need to stop complaining. Right? There is something about it that I think speaks directly to now in the midst of trying times, uncertainty around covid um, rampant political divisiveness, it can be so frustrating. And in truth, when Jesus says, stop complaining, oh my gosh, that got me hooked. I was into this lesson. We have Jesus here preaching the good news, and we have at the back of the group a authority, someone of significance, a group of them in the back grumbling and complaining, and Jesus goes, hey, seriously, stop complaining amongst yourselves for a second. Maybe it's because I have little ones. Whining and complaining. No, I'm over it. When Jesus says, stop complaining, oh man, I was like, yeah, bud, I can get behind this teaching. Confession time. Are you ready? This is a confession about Pastor Alex Cates. I'm saying it on the internet. It's going to go far and wide, folks. I am ashamed to admit that when I hear complaining, I am perhaps one of the least generous people I know. Perhaps the least sympathetic. People close to me, Pastor Pat knows about this, unfortunately, this term I use when I've heard a lot of complaining, I am ashamed to admit that the term that comes just bubbling out my lips is, such a fussy baby. I do, I can't control it. If my children are, I'm like, ooh, that fussy baby. And let me tell you, that does not de-escalate the situation at all. My wife gives me this look like, thank you, thank you for that. That's great. That's going to help. Our five-year-old who's like, I am not a baby. And I'm like, that's a baby. So I don't recommend using the term I am embarrassed that I do it. Because in fact, what am I doing? I'm being a fussy baby. 
It's not appropriate to do this. Um, but yeah, when Jesus says, stop doing that, stop complaining, I'm going, yes. Because we may not agree on everything, but can you stop griping? In my head, Jesus, and he didn't, mumbled under his breath after that, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He didn't. I'm sure he didn't. He's way better than that. Um, but the world is full of critics. Cultural critics, political critics. There are movie critics, there are video game critics. It is a whole thing. It's based around disagreements over interpretation, over taste. And Steve Bonnestock will tell you, there is no accounting for taste. So I love that wisdom. What are we grumbling about, folks? It's just preference. I don't know why we're arguing about this. There is no accounting for taste. It's just complaining and disagreeing about opinions, about interpretation. It's everywhere. But beyond taste, I think I get the most frustrated when we have complaints and disagreements over matters of whether things are even true or false, fact or fiction, a thing or not a thing. It's always a debate. It's always a critique. Always a limitless supply of complaints. Let's breathe. The church, of course, is no stranger to this. No stranger to complaints. No stranger to disagreements. Different opinions. Text or scripture. Different interpretations. However, the church is lucky, very lucky, in that you can agree, I hope, on one thing, which is this centrality of Jesus Christ in the way we are going to live our lives and whom we are going to serve. The importance of Jesus Christ as the truth. His words, His works, His ways, they are good. They are worthy of imitation. And even when we're lost, confused, or even disagree, I hope, we all recognize we could, should, might be helpful to look to Jesus to guide us. The truth and light, right? The foundation, a plumb line and now a bread of life. Free, hardened substance. A foundation built in love and mercy. Built in grace and forgiveness. Sacrifice. If you think of Jesus, words come to mind like gentleness and hospitality. Self-sacrifice. The good news for all of us who are used to bad news. When you think of Jesus, you think of food for the hungry. You think of shelter for the homeless. Love. While it's highs and also now it's challenges, all its confrontations and all its comforts. I think the confrontation of Jesus as a plumb line leaves me often just reminding that it's not just about me and the things I want. It's about all of us. It's not about the good news for Alex Tate. No, it's the good news for all people. The whole world. Yes, even people. If you can believe it, I disagree with you. That's wild. It's good. It's so good that it only builds up. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't disgrace somehow. It doesn't defame. It doesn't insult, degrade, shame, or embarrass. Jesus then is talking about himself and his ways and what he's teaching and that this comes from God. This is the foundation of faith coming down from heaven. Look, see, taste, see, and believe. However, even these good teachings, which I could hear that all day, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. But even then, faithful people, good faithful people, these are religious folks in the back, they're still grumbling. Grumbling about who this guy is. Even faithful people hear this negatively in some light, and here comes the critics. Folks 
watching him and complaining and really hoping to just bring Jesus down a peg. For the record, lots of people complained about Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but you don't usually get crucified if you haven't frustrated a lot of people. He irritated folks. He rubbed them the wrong way because the good news, even though it's good news, can sometimes sound like a confrontation. It sounds like a critique sometimes of my ways. But Jesus points out, look, look, if you look at this and not look at the fact that, yes, I know, you have pointed out, I am not a loaf of bread. Great. I also, yes, I did come down from heaven. They're like, well, I know where your house is. And he's like, listen, listen, good things. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm saying. You will believe. Don't shrug it off. Listen, look, seeing is believing. And when any time we have this leadership at the back who's saying, no, don't see and believe. Listen to my critique we fall into a really dangerous place because critique is really easy to get into. It's usually about something you didn't like and has nothing to do with Christ. We still do this. We say, we sit here critique what pleases. We ask them, what are we to do? I'll ask them, what are we to do as people of faith? Am I a fussy baby? Are you a fussy baby? Yes, sometimes you are. What do we do to stop falling into that same trap as these good religious people did? Who Jesus is saying, don't imitate this. Please stop doing this. How do we not fall into the trap of being a constant cultural critic, a complainer, a fussy baby? Well, Ephesians, the reading we had right before this, I adore this. It has some wisdom for us. And it has a lot to do with exactly what Jesus is saying, but perhaps in a little less Repetitive, cryptic of terms, a lot less bread talk. Very clinical, very specific, it says. A lot of people see Ephesians as a list of like do's and don'ts, but I don't think that's fair. It's about practical healing. Moving from one way, and that way we all understand, you know, it destroys, it's bitter, to another way that mends, that mends and builds up. Now, the old way we know very well. I just talked about it. So to critics, right? Seething resentment, division, uh, hatred, anger, bitterness. Fussy baby. But Ephesians says, yes, I love this. It says, yes, community is absolutely going to be tough. And guess what? You're even going to be angry at your neighbors. Go for it. Whoa, for once there's something in the Bible I know I can do. I can get angry at my neighbors. This is where I'm a Viking. I'm going to do great. But, it continues, as the church, as the church, yes, you can get angry. Those divisions, though, those disagreements, those frustrations, they are not to develop into what I think we see in the world that hurts the world so much. In the church, we cannot fall into the same trap of ignoring the needs of those we disagree with. Ignoring the needs of our neighbors. Tolerating, even justifying acts of violence towards those whom we disagree with. We can't fall into that trap. Just because we disagree with our neighbors, we are not permitted to call our neighbors fools. You're not allowed to do No, that's not fair. We can't believe in any sort of action. There is just something justified in our trying to hurt 
dehumanize, shame, embarrass our neighbors. Folks, it's no good. In short, to summarize this teaching in Ephesians, and teaching of Jesus, I'll give you a teaching my dad gave me and my mom. Probably everyone's mom and dad did this. Summary. Stop complaining and do something about it. And I don't mean something awful. Do something positive. You're not, nothing's going to change here. Do something good. Do something helpful. Jesus says in our reading, don't complain among yourselves. Instead, see and believe the good news. Ephesians puts it, let no evil come out of your mouth. Only what is useful. Useful for what? Useful for building up. Useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give what? Shame? No. Grace. Grace to all those who hear it. This is not a do this, don't do this rule for being a Christian. This is a great departure from a lifetime defined by fussiness and social criticism and towards a life defined by pursuing the kingdom of God. Discipleship. A long obedience in the direction of something that builds, creates, and doesn't destroy your defame. Folks, here it comes. Here's the practical wisdom part. Are we ready? Loosen up. I'm going to ask you a question. You know someone who you disagree with, yes? So easy, wasn't it? You thought of them right away. You're like, yeah, but I know them. Okay, you know someone. You know someone who you cannot stand. Yes, yes. I would ask you, is there a feeling of bitterness? Resentment? Maybe even indifference towards their struggles? Indifference towards their suffering? Man, I'm, would you delight in their stumbling constantly? Would you delight in their stumbling? Because, brothers and sisters, I would say to you, put away all bitterness. All wrath and anger, wrangling and slander. Together with all malice. Put it away. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Just humility to one another. God in Christ has forgiven you. You need to be done. If you need a reason to pry this out, practice it. I'll recommend the advice of Reverend Anthony Thompson whose wife was killed during the shooting in 2015 at the Armory Church in Charlottesville. And Charles Thompson. Um, members of that church and Reverend Thomas included, Thompson included expressed some feelings at that shooter's funeral. Um, they weren't words of bitterness or anger. They were words of forgiveness to one another. Incredible. And how, how do you do that? He says, well, forgiveness is not for the perpetrator or the offender. Forgiveness is for the victim. Don't let him off the hook. Have I in mind. And it changed Charles' life. Please, believe there is another way. Another way of putting away all bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, slander together with malice. 
living to be in time to see and believe. This is not just for our offenders, but it's for our own freedom. So to that I say thanks be to God. Revealed in Christ through this new way. Thanks be to God for our teacher and for those like Reverend Thompson who have followed his teaching and living as an example Thank God for Jesus' willingness to instruct a bunch of fussy babies like me. To hang in there and say, it doesn't have to be like this. I know, but there is another way. And thank God for the freedom that we receive in loving like that. Loving like that.